0: This episode sponsored by the Second City Training Center. Find your funny this week with a $20 improv drop-in class at the Second City Training Center in Chicago. Your first drop-in is on us. Use the code Test Drive for a free improv drop-in any Sunday at 7 p.m. For more information, go to secondcity.com backslash TC or call 312-664-3959 to register. Their ruins dot the emerald green countryside, once proud homes and fortifications whose empty bones harmonize with the verdant landscape. The gray, mossy stone frames sit blanketed in ivy, while sheep and cows graze nearby, oblivious to the fabled history enshrouding the locale. Drive down an Irish road for very long, and you're bound to run across the remnants of a castle or two. Some are nothing more than hollow shells of crumbling walls. Others have been maintained for centuries, and still others lay in some combination of conditions. But like the mystic, bucolic isle they sit on, these old castles are steeped in legend and remain full of lore. Almost every old castle in Ireland has a supernatural tale attached to it, from otherworldly spirits to fantastical creatures, some sinister, some simply indifferent. Explore old ruins or stay at a well-kept castle there, and you can be certain of a couple things. Magnificent views and even better hospitality, with the occasional added bonus of disembodied whispers, Spectral visitors and phantom touches. Pour a pint of Guinness and put on your warmest jumper. We're testing our luck and exploring haunted Irish castles in this episode of Blurry Photos. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm your host, David Flora. Glad to have you. You're all very welcome here. And let's raise a glass to the start of Season 7. I'm celebrating the season kickoff with the customary Guinness and Jameson. And as is tradition here at Blurry Photos, the season is opening with a fine Irish-themed show. Now, if you're new to the show, first of all, thanks for listening. Welcome. Secondly, this will be a slightly different show than normal, if only in the fact that I'll be telling tales and showing some love to legends without breaking them down or debunking anything. Plus, I've had a few drinks in celebration, which might make the podcast more like slurry photos. Nah. But all in good fun. And really, it's it's just a once-a-year thing, so don't think the furrow... Mm don't think the photos are always slurry. That, it's not going to get worse than that. All, all that said, here's a toast for all of us as we begin the seventh season of Chicago's Best Podcast. May the road rise up to meet us and the rain stay off our head. May we be in heaven half an hour before the devil knows we're dead. Slancha. Now, as I said, this episode may be less fact than fiction, but should be full of fun. I've picked out several Irish castles from all across the aisle, each said to be haunted in their own way. I'll go through each and tell you a little bit about their history and the hauntings and tales that accompany them. There are more haunted castles in Ireland than you can shake a shillelagh at, so don't get all butthurt if I don't include a certain one. I can always do a part two later. So... How about we jump in the car, hit the motorway, start looking for these castles. In County Clare, near Kilfenora, on the western edge of the Burren National Park, sits a hollowed-out stone tower house and attached mansion called Lamina Castle. Tower houses were basically fortified stone residences built between 1400 and 1650 CE by wealthy landowners. Not exactly what you'd first think of for a castle, but still classified as one. Tower houses were generally four or more rooms stacked on each other inside stone walls. Their primary function was being a home for the wealthy family. And their high stone walls provided a secondary function of security from raiders or neighbors with aspirations. Lamina's Tower House was built in 1480 by Turla O'Brien, one of the last High Kings of Ireland. The name Lamina thought to derive from a term in Irish meaning horse's leap. In 1648, Connor O'Brien and his wife, Mary McMahon, added a four-story mansion house to the tower. The home was eventually abandoned and stands open and hollow today, though as some locals might tell you, it may not be as empty as it looks. Stories of ghostly goings-on all center around one imposing figure. That of Mary McMahon. Known as Moira Rua, or Red Mary, because of her flaming red hair, Mary was a walking force of nature. Legends have grown from the stories of her fiery personality. Some say if any maids displeased her, she would hang them by their hair from the tower. The worst offenders would have their chests removed. One famous anecdote goes that her husband Connor was off fighting Oliver Cromwell's armies and fell wounded in battle. Soldiers brought him home, and she neither spoke nor wept, but, standing atop the tower house, shouted, What use have I, the dead man? Later stories sometimes say she took the still-living Connor in and nursed him till he succumbed to his wounds. But after his death... She said to have ridden to where the battle was, and put up such a fuss shouting and cursing that the general of Cromwell's army came out to see what was going on, and so as not to lose her home and holdings, she offered to marry any officer there. A Captain John Cooper readily agreed, a decision he'd eventually regret. Not long after they were married, he apparently made a disparaging remark about Connor one day, And Mary jumped up and kicked him squaw in the stomach, which killed him. From then, it was said she married 25 more men, each for a year and a day, killing them all in a different way. After the last, her enemies are said to have tied her up and entombed her inside a hollow tree. Her ghost is said to appear near a druid's altar or roaming the long gone halls of the castle cackling at the atrocities she committed. (laughs) The castle itself's not open for tours, per se, but the adventuress might be able to get a peek at it.
1: She was lovely.
0: Less than 10 miles north-northeast of Dublin stands Malahide Castle, a 12th-century fortress and home of the Talbot family. A well-maintained stately place, Malahide looks like a castle, mansion, and cathedral all mixed in one, due to its huge windows, gothic entrance, angled roofs, and crenellated round towers. The castle has an interesting history, belonging first to the Talbots, then to one of Cromwell's lackeys, Miles Corbett, in the mid-17th century, then back to the Talbots, and finally to the Irish state, which holds it now. The castle has seen some short in its 800-year history. Accompanying disembodied whispers and feeling presences in empty rooms are five distinct ghosts said to haunt the still-visited castle. One ghost said to appear retains knowledge of his tragic circumstance. Sir Walter Hussey, Baron of Galtram, killed on the day of his wedding in the 1400s. Heading to the ceremony, he was said to have been ambushed ambushed ambuscade he, he was laid upon by an ambuscade by enemies and killed with a spear I could have cut that I kept it for you In perhaps an even more painful twist his bride-to-be ended up marrying his killer his specter has been seen wandering the castle at night showing his mortal wound and groaning in agony Another spirit spotted there came from a marriage that perhaps should not have gone through. Lady Maud Plunkett, whose third marriage was to a Lord Chief Justice, which was perhaps a title, perhaps an actual name. Chief Chief Justice? I'm going to name my child Chief, Chief Justice Flora? Oh, well, what are you having, a boy? Oh, what are you going to name him? Major General Flora? That's not confusing. Well, this marriage was not the happiest she was possessive petty argumentative maybe even violent while not family she lived with the Talbots and was often seen chasing her husband through the castle in the midst of a heated argument though the Talbots grew tired of this and kicked them out she can still be seen chasing her poor husband through the halls during the Tudor era the Talbots had a jester puck a dwarf who lived in a tower and kept an eye on prisoners in addition to his entertainment duties. Henry VIII was said to have sent a Lady Eleonora Fitzgerald to Malahide for detainment as she had apparently incited rebellions against him in England. As you can probably guess, Puck fell in love with her. Rumors about his love spread through the castle and grew to ridiculous gossip enough so for the Talbots to worry that Henry might also think they were conspiring against him. One snowy December morning, Puck was found outside by the castle walls, a knife through his heart. His death was a mystery, but not long before he died, he was said to have promised to haunt the castle after his demise, and would not hurt anyone as long as a Talbot male slept under the castle's roof. A short anecdote from the book, Castles of Ireland, Tales of an Encounter with Puck. Not so many years ago, a naval officer who had just been appointed to the Coast Guard Station at Malahide received an invitation to dine at the castle. On his way up the avenue, he met a strange figure in a fantastic costume whom he thought was someone masquerading, not likely to be made the subject of a joke. He tried to knock him down unless he told him what he wanted and upon getting no reply he endeavoured to carry out his threat, but his iron passed through his adversary and he thought it advisable to hasten his steps to the castle. It was not likely to improve his appetite, however, to find the portrait of the strange figure looking down upon him from the dining room wall. Puck's face is said to have been photographed numerous times from windows and doorways, and even peering through the ivy on the walls. He has not been seen as much since the government took over in 1979. At one time, the great hall of the castle sported a finely crafted painting of a beautiful woman in a flowing white dress. No one knew who she was or who painted her, but it was admired by all. So it came as a bit of a surprise when people started seeing her wandering the castle in the dead of night. Witnesses say she stepped right out of the painting and walked silently through the halls. Over the years, she became known simply as the White Lady. The last ghost said to be seen at Malahide is that of Cromwell's politician buddy, Miles Corbett. After Cromwell's forces drove the Talbots out, Corbett was given the castle and lands. Being a staunch anti-Catholic, he destroyed the abbey and attacked the local Catholic population. Corbett was arrested in 1660, and in front of an eager crowd, was hanged, drawn, and quartered at Malahide. On nights of the anniversary of his death, he is said to be seen running through the halls. Other nights, he can be seen in full armor, appearing menacingly before falling apart into quartered pieces. We continue on to Ross Castle, but ho, oh, a bit of confusory is afoot, for there are two Ross castles, probably more, each with its own fabled history. Yes, I kept running across differing stories of their owners and wondering why I couldn't find a summary of both in one place. Well, har <laughs> har! it finally dawned on me that I was reading about a Castle Ross in County Meath on one source. And Castle Ross in County Kerry on another. Each sits next to a lake, and each has a legend attached to it. The lighter story of the two comes from Ross Castle in Kerry. Just southwest of Killarney, on the shores of Loch Lane, lies the large tower house of Ross Castle. Dating back to the late 15th century, it was built by the O'Donoghue Moors, though it changed hands not unlike Malahide, from them to the McCarty Moors, and then to the Browns, Loyalists to the English. The Browns held it until the 18th century, when it was given over to the state, now open to the public. The English takeover tied into an old prophecy, rather Shakespearean in nature. According to some antiquarians, it was strongly believed the castle was unconquerable unless it was attacked by warships this was a laughable prospect, as it sat on the shores of a landlocked lake. However, sure enough, during the Irish Confederate Wars, a regiment of Oliver Cromwell's men built some ships in Kinsale on the southern coast of Ireland, sailed them around to Killorgland northwest of the castle, and dragged them by oxen to the loch where they sailed on the castle, causing the disturbed defenders to surrender on sight. The ordeals captured in a poem by 19th century writer and reverend A.B. Rowan in his book, Lake Lore. I won't read you the whole poem, but here are parts of it. It's embers smoldering here and there. Unfed, the Civil War flame dies. But still defiant on the air. Or Ross, the green flag proudly flies. Till Burnham Wood meets Dunsinane macbeth before no foe shall quail and ross may all assaults disdain till on lochling strange ships shall sail strange bearded men should thus reply on old wife's tale with faith profound yet trusting it they still defy the well-kept leaguer closing round the warder sees the tale soon runs from turret top to dungeon keep that strange ships bearing breaching guns or the broad lake prepared to sweep. Then, misplaced trust becomes despair. Then, fate of heart, or unbreached walls, they hoist surrender sign and air, and Ross, without a struggle, falls. The other tale from this castle concerns the original owner, O'Donohue Moor, said to have leapt from the castle window into the lake, or, in some versions, just plain sucked out, along with the library, a table, and a horse, only to preside over a fabulous palace at the lake's bottom. A version is recounted in Castles of Ireland, There is a legend regarding the great and wise Prince Donahue, mm, who possessed the secret of eternal youth, yes, and under whose rule the land prospered greatly. Mm. It is related how that during a splendid feast at Ross castle, he rose up amongst the company and made a prophetic oration, oh, recounting accurately all that the future years would bring, yes. In the midst of speaking... He walked over to a window, which is still shown, and through it, passed out over the lake. Upon nearing the center, he turned round and waved his hand in farewell to those behind. And the water's opening, he disappeared beneath them, yes. On May morning, he said to rise from his watery grave and ride over the lake on a white steed, surrounded by beautiful women and youths. (laughs) His appearance is looked upon as a sign of a bountiful harvest. It's also related how a young maiden, imagining herself in love with the phantom prince, cast herself into the lake on a May morning and was drowned. Oh no. The other Ross Castle is far away in County Meath, on the southern shore of Loch Sheelan. Built in 1533 by Richard Nugent, 12th Baron of Delvin, it was also a formidable tower house. Nugent had somewhat of an unpleasant reputation, hearing the nickname the Black Baron. He was mean, quick to anger, and generally the finest of asshats. In yet another Shakespearean turn of events, his daughter Sabina fell in love with Orwin the son of an enemy clan. They hid their love from their families and soon planned to elope. Meeting in secrecy one night by the lake, they decided to leave their lives behind, row across the lake, and start anew elsewhere. But as you can guess, their affair hadn't gone unnoticed. The Black Baron had caught wind of the plan and surprised them before they could set off. Sabina's own brother drowned her would-be groom right there in the lake. Devastated, she locked herself in her room and starved to death. Some versions have a storm blowing up and causing Orwin to drown, but the outcome remains the same. Her restless and mournful spirit is said to haunt the castle still. It has since been turned into a modern bed-and-breakfast, and people go, hoping to catch a glimpse of Sabina. Visitors have reported voices in empty halls, electronics acting strangely, doorknobs rattling, temperature changes, and visual anomalies, like this clip from an amateur paranormal investigation.
1: I can see it, it's just Wycliffe. There's nothing as of yet coming out of it. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. moving. It's rippling. Do you want to call out again? Can you bang on the wall and see me? Does anybody else see what I'm talking about? Can anybody else see the rippling? No. Mm-hmm. It's not near on the wall, is it? No. It's not the wall at all. It's the bottom post of the bed. It's the opposite post of the bed, just in front of it. There is a huge ripple just in front of it. And it would look like, if you could imagine what a fingerprint looks like, your thumbprint or something, but it's rippling. It's like if you tried to water your, your finger across water or something? Uh, similar. It looks like a, a fingerprint. It's, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it, only that it looks like a fingerprint that's rippling. It's exactly what it is. I'm surprised nobody else can see it because it's quite strong. Can I take a picture there? Yeah, you can, of course, try, at least. I would say that any visiting energy that would come and go here, whether it's visiting or, or here or whatever, would certainly enter and exit through this room and would also enter and exit through that ripple. So that would answer why this room is
2: something like five degrees colder than everywhere else. Sure of all of the gifts that the angels bestow, there's none like the gift of the Blarney. Now Riley was gifted in this way and so, of language he had a most wonderful flow. He could talk a blind fiddler right out of his fiddle, could talk the milk out of a cow. He dad, he could wheedle a fig leaf from Adam if Adam was wearing one now. With his wonderful Irish bro. sure he'll fascinate you entirely, though you know he's a wheedling bro. He got in the wrong room one night in Paris, and a little French bride softly whispered, Cherie, is that you, Alphonse? And he whispered, wee wee, with his wonderful Irish
0: robe. One particular county in Ireland seems to boast not only a high number of haunted castles, but a high level of haunting intensity as well. Okay, David, what are you talking about? Well, David, the next two castles should make that nebulous statement pretty clear, as the activity therein is numerous and visceral. Time to head over to County Offaly, about an hour and a half due west of Dublin town, to the beautiful Gothic architecture of Charleville Castle. While the lands were occupied by aristocracy as far back as 1641, and monastic settlement before that, the castle in its current form is the most recently built on our list, having been commissioned in 1798, and initially completed in 1812. It has seen numerous owners, additions, and periods of abandonment since its initial completion, owing to the proprietors conspicuous lifestyles. Even English poet Lord Byron threw parties there. Restoration was begun in 1971, and the castle is maintained with events and tours still held there. Despite its relatively younger age, the castle is practically brimming with supernatural activity. In fact, there are several stories which tie multiple esoteric topics in. Firstly, the castle is said to be built on an ancient burial ground sacred to druids. The sanctity of the location came from its location on a ley line. Electromagnetic energy is thought to flow through the ground, the man who had the castle built Charles William Berry, capitalized on this Burry was also a Freemason and the design and layout of the place is said to follow sacred geometry not only that but there were some whispers of him also practicing devil worship I'm guessing he either pissed someone off or didn't get out of the house much while not yet proven the stories are told of the castle grounds being a place where plague victims were brought to be buried away from the rest of the community. Victims both dead and alive. Spirits that found no peace in life damned to search for it in Charleville's old oak woodland. Speaking of the oaks, a gigantic tree known as the King Oak is said to be connected to the Burry family. It was said that if a branch fell from the tree, a member of the Burry family would soon die. Lightning struck the tree in 1963, and reportedly Colonel Charles Howard Burry suddenly died that same day. The most well-known and reported visage of the hellish damned, doomed to walk the earth without respite, Finding solace only in never ending torment of the living is that of an eight year old girl. She's actually pretty tame as far as the disincarnate is concerned. Creepy, oh yes, creepy AF, but harmless. Her name is Harriet, and her story is a tragic one. Harriet was the youngest daughter of the third Earl of Charleville, and on the evening of April 8th, 1861, She was on her way to dinner from upstairs when she decided to slide down the stair balustrade. Unfortunately, she lost her grip, slipped, and fell some three stories to the hard stone floor below. Since this tragedy, visitors to the castle have reported seeing a young girl in a blue and white dress with curly golden hair with blue ribbons in it. She appears in photos and videos and can sometimes be seen skipping down the hall. A volunteer helping around the castle once stayed there and was awoken in the middle of the night to see a blonde girl staring at him. He thought it might have been the owner's grandchild and went to the bathroom to dress so he could take her back to her room. Upon returning, she was nowhere to be found. He woke the owners and told them, to which they replied that none of their grandchildren were there that night. Needless to say, he got a room in nearby Tullamore. Some folks have reported a child's voice giggling, some singing, and still others have heard a girl scream. The little girl is sometimes seen with a little boy as well, though it's not certain who he might be. Cold spots are felt in various rooms and on the stairs. White mists are sometimes seen. Once, the owner's own son is said to have gone missing when he was very young, and with the dangers of an old castle ever present, the family frantically began a search for him. They found him safely at the bottom of the stairwell. He told them the little boy and girl had helped him get down the stairs. The owner also told a story of what she called a cavalcade of ghosts in her room once. Charles Burry, Francis Johnston, a woman in a black hood, a little girl, and a group of around 17 monks or druids were standing around her bed one morning when she awoke, and according to her, bestowed a blessing upon her. I wouldn't be surprised if she had also bestowed a blessing upon her own pantaloons at that point the dungeon is a hot spot for weird activity. Some investigators are said to have had their faces scratched, and in one case, been dragged down a corridor. A ghastly figure with a mean glare has also been seen walking the halls, and the, at this point tame, footsteps, crying, and clock chimes, where no clock is present, have been heard. final castle we'll be audibly visiting tonight is a mere 35 kilometers away in southwest county Offaly, the bloody and ominous Lepp castle the date of construction is hotly debated with estimates anywhere between 1250 and 1470 and the debate continues as to whether the o'bannon or o'carroll clan built it There are multiple legends as to how it got its name, most pointing to Lame O'Bannon, which is Leap of O'Bannon. One legend is of two O'Bannon brothers who came to the rock on which the castle is built, and decided that whichever of them survived after leaping to the ground below should build a castle there. One of the two was killed by the jump. Another legend said that the O'Carrolls who took the land from the O'Bannons and demanded tribute, offered to excuse the O'Bannons from tribute if a champion from the O'Bannons could jump from one large rock to another nearby. The champion tried and failed, dying on the jagged ground below. The O'Carrolls are said to have mixed his blood into the mortar for the foundations, an act of defiance that ultimately cursed them. With the death of Mulroney O'Carroll in 1532, leadership of the clan was in dispute. He had three eligible sons in line. One was feeble-minded, another a priest, and the third, a hot-headed fighter named One-eyed Tig. Taking it upon himself to end the leadership dispute, Tig busted into the castle's chapel during a mass his brother was leading and drove his sword between the priest's shoulders claiming leadership then and there. The room was hence called the Bloody Chapel. Tyg's bloodthirsty M.O. didn't end there. He proceeded to invite a rival clan to dinner for peace talks. Problem was, his version of a peace dinner came with free poison. The whole rival clan was wiped out in Lep Castle. His reign lasted almost 20 years before he was overthrown and a series of bloody political events ensued, which ended in the castle being given to Captain Jonathan Darby, an English royalist in 1659. Not intimidated by the previous owner's awfulness, Darby is said to have hid a small fortune in a secret chamber in the castle and bricked up the servants who stored it there. Interesting to note, two skeletons were found inside a wall during a later restoration. No treasure, though. The Darby family retained the castle for many years, adding to it here and there. In 1922, part of the castle was burned by locals protesting taxes during the Irish Civil War. It remained empty for 50 years until a descendant of the O'Bannons, an Australian feller, purchased it in 1972. A musician by the name of Sean Ryan owns it now, and has been working on restoration for years. I mean, if you're going to have blood in the mortar of your foundation, you're going to have a bad time. Of course, there are stories of people seeing the apparition of the O'Carroll priest wandering the bloody chapel. There have also been reports of seeing lights coming from the chapel at night when the castle was abandoned. There are also stories of the appearance of an unknown tall woman in a flowing red gown, in some cases seen holding a dagger. You'll never guess what they call this woman in the red dress, the Red Lady. A theory is that she was a woman captured by an O'Carroll man and raped, whose baby was killed, which caused her to take her own life with the dagger. The castle's website has an encounter with her by someone who stayed there once. On the 31st of October I went to my bedroom around 11pm. During the night, the time was 12.45am, as I subsequently saw by my watch, I felt that I was awakened by somebody in my room. It was pitch dark and at first I could see nothing. I was wide awake with an extraordinary cold feeling at my heart that rapidly increased in intensity. Almost immediately I felt, as much as saw, that there was a tall figure in the middle of the room. My first impression was that the owner himself was there, as no other member of the household would correspond to the height. What is it? I asked. There was no answer, but now I could see, dimly at first, and with increasing distinctness, that the tall figure was clothed from head to foot in red. And with its right hand raised menacingly in the air. To my utter astonishment, I could see that the light which illuminated the figure was from within, having very much the effect of the dark lantern used in a photographer's room. As the figure advanced toward me, the light increased, and I could see distinctly that the form was that of a very tall woman holding some sort of a weapon, knife, or dagger in her hand. "'What is it?' I asked again, adding, "'Who is it?' and then hurriedly struck a match and lit my candle. As the flame of the match and the candle illuminated the room, I looked all around. The room was empty.'" Much of the paranormal activity is connected to the last Darby's to live there, in particular Mildred Darby, a spiritualist who married into the family in 1889. She reported a number of sightings herself, including activity in the section called the priest's house. She said, There is something heavy that lies on people's beds and snores, and they feel the weight of a great body pressing against them, in a room in the priest's house. A burly man, in rough clothes, like a peasant. He always pushes a heavy barrel up the back stairs of the wing." near the servant's bedrooms, and when just at the top, the barrel rolls down and all disappears. A monk with a tonsure and cowl walks in at one window and out another in the priest's house. She also described an experience in a place called the Murder Hole Room. I put my hand out of bed, snapping my fingers to call my terrier. My hand was suddenly in the grasp of another hand, a soft, cool hand, at a temperature perceptibly below my own flesh. To say I was astonished would but mildly convey my feelings. After a few seconds of steady pressure, the other hand let go, and almost simultaneously I heard a heavy sliding fall, like the collapse of a large body at the foot of the bed. Then, in the absolute stillness of the room, there sounded a deep human groan, and some half-articulated words, or to be accurate, prayers. People have complained before, in fact. We don't generally put anyone there now. The room is called the Muckle, a murder-hole room, and the story goes that the stain on the floor is the blood of a man stabbed there by his brother. Two old heralds quarreled over their ownership of the castle. The room had been disused for fifty years or more when we did it up. The stain has been planed off the board several times, but it always comes again, it creeps up from below in a few hours. It sure sounds like the chapel where the priest was killed, but she doesn't mention it. Her most famous addition to the Lep legend, however, is the Elemental. Mildred is thought to have somehow caused the Elemental to make itself known, or be released in her occult dabbling. She described it thusly. Suddenly, two hands were laid on my shoulders. I turned around sharply and saw, as clearly as I see you now, a grey thing standing a couple of feet from me, with its bent arms raised as if it were cursing me. I cannot describe in words how utterly awful the thing was, its very undefinableness rendering the horrible shadow more gruesome. Human in shape, a little shorter than I am, I could just make out the shape of big black holes, like great eyes and sharp features, But the whole figurehead, face, hands and all was grey, unclean, bluish grey, something of the colour and appearance of common cotton wool. But oh, so sinister, repulsive and devilish. My friends who are clever about the court things say it is what they call an elemental. The thing was about the size of a sheep. Thin, gaunt, and shadowy in parts. Its face was human, or to be more accurate, inhuman in its vileness, with large holes of blackness for eyes, loose, slobbery lips, and a thick saliva-dripping jaw, sloping back suddenly into its neck. Nose had it none, only spreading cancerous cavities the whole face being a uniform tint of grey. This, too, was the color of the dark, coarse hair covering its head, neck, and body. Its forearms were thickly coated with the same hair. So were its paws, large, loose, and hand-shaped. And it sat on its hind legs. One hand or paw was raised, and a claw-like finger was extended ready to scratch the paint its lusterless eyes which seemed half decomposed and looked incredibly foul stared into mine then the horrible smell which had before offended my nostrils only a hundred times intensified came up to my face filling me with a deadly nausea I noticed the lower half of the creature was indefinite and seemed semi transparent at least. I could see the framework of the door that led into the gallery through its body. <laughs> By the way, she aged like 40 years while saying all that, <laughs> according to that impression. Other theories say the druids placed it there long ago to guard the site. Or that it's the spirit of an O'Carroll who died of leprosy. Or the manifestation of those that were murdered there. It's, uh, it's a weird thing. Kind of kind of like the, the mascot of the <laughs> castle? I don't know. In 1922, workmen discovered an oubliette. A small dungeon which used to be accessed through a trap door in the floor. In it, they found human bones three carts worth, as a matter of fact. It could have been where the rival clan's bodies were dumped from the dinner massacre. could have also been a cruel torture device from some of the bloody owners through history. As it's said, a spike was also found at the bottom. Got somebody you don't like? Drop them through that trapdoor onto a spike. Numerous other phenomena has been reported, from screams and phantom girls falling from towers to chanting and tobacco smells. It has quite the reputation for its hauntings in a land full of creepy castles. those are five spots of paranormal unnormalness on the Emerald Isle honorable mention to some castles that almost made the cut but for time Kilkey Castle Glen Castle and Kalua Castle perhaps we can revisit those in the future most of these are open for tours and the like though a couple are more ruins than ramparts next time you're in Ireland see if there's a quaint castle b and you can stay in maybe bring a video camera and if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night with a little girl staring at you don't worry she's harmless but maybe keep an eye out for trap doors and watch what you eat for dinner just in case that's haunted Irish castles for you in a stony bloody bony nutshell And as with each episode, I like to cleanse the palate a bit by dropping you unexpectedly onto a spike of puns. The Irish countryside is very inspiring for artists. And one famous TV painter built a castle there once. His fame came from his simple style and calm demeanor when using a little blood red and black barren to paint scary scenes of unhappy little trees. His home was known as Bob Ross Castle. One castle outside of Dublin is very famous for being a quaint, cozy, welcoming place during the day and a dark, sinister, malevolent place at night. It's said that author Robert Louis Stevenson once got mugged by a dwarf there. Of course, I'm talking about Dr. Jekyll and Malahide Castle. And that'll do it for your puns. Lots of pun fodder in this one. Head on over to the Blurry Photos fan page and share any puns you come up with on there. Don't forget to like the show on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, Blurry underscore Photos blurry photos podcast on instagram youtube most places if you like what i do give me a five star rating and review on itunes or wherever you catch the pod and don't forget to subscribe subscribing gives me a good idea of how many of you guys are out there listening the best thing you could do is tell others and share the good word about ye old blurry photos Share the show on social media, tell people if they ask for new podcast suggestions. Don't be afraid to throw us in the mix with all those standard ones that are always thrown out there, and force friends and family to listen on car trips. Thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co-op and the Dark Myths Collective, and thanks to all of you. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, to write in, to share stuff, and to be kind in general. Thank you, guys. And hey, welcome to Season 7, suckers. So for this episode of Blurry Photos, I have been David, the sheep-sized, ghastly-smelling Flora. Buh.